what we're going to talk about today is we're, we've gone from learning the way, learning the way, the truth, the life, and we're going to move into teaching the way, the truth, and the life. And as we do that, it's kind of difficult sometimes to understand if you don't know who Jesus is, if you're in the world and we're there teaching who Jesus is, then we end up struggling because we don't exactly know how they see Jesus or how we even see Jesus sometimes. And so, okay, is this little thing going to work? Okay, Nick's going to do it. Okay. So today we're going to come full circle back around to the first part of this teaching series that we had before, and that's to talk about um, John chapter 14, uh, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and we're going to focus on that little spot that says, I am, and it's going to be the identity of Jesus, okay? So sometimes, just like in Jesus or Jedi, we get a little mixed up with um, our culture, we get a little mixed up in our politics, we get a little mixed up in our entertainment, like Star Wars, in understanding exactly who Jesus is. And more often than not, in the past, if we, we had this kind of misunderstanding about who God was, we would call that idolatry. And in that's ancient times and everything, I mean, that's the, one of the commandments, and it is still a, a valid fact to call it idolatry in that way. But there's also something that I wanted to tell you about. Um, and just so you know, back in 2005, there was a study done and um, it, was, it was the National Study of Youth and Religion, and they interviewed 3,000 American teenagers. So 2005 is 15 years ago, and those teenagers 15 years ago are now probably around 30 years old. So young, young adults um, on the front end of middle age, and um, they'd coined a new term that has to do with a lot of this, and it's called moralistic therapeutic deism. Y'all want to say that with me? Let's not do that. Okay, so moralistic therapeutic deism. And what they found in this study is that more often than not, the teenagers that claimed to be Christians in a lot of ways weren't even um, in an understanding about who Jesus was or even necessarily God or basic theology. So in those ideas, there are five different basic principles that moralistic theology therapeutic deism talks about. And um, they're going to pop up here on the screen. The first one is that a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. That sounds pretty good, right? That's, that's, that's allow, around what we believe. That God wants all people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible, but it's also taught by most other world religions in the same way. And there is that distinction, okay, that it's not just a Christian idea in that way. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. And that doesn't sound bad, right? That's very therapeutic. That's good. It's very moralistic. But it also can lack purpose. It can lack a divine intervention. It can lack even, even the possibility that your suffering or your pain might bring about something good. That discipline counts in our lives. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. That sounds familiar for a lot of people. And good people go to heaven when they die. Not people who have been justified by grace, not people who have been adopted by God, but just if you're a good person, you go. So it's a system of faith. It's based on an idea that's roughly monotheistic. It's based on this idea of a single God in that kind of way, but it's really centered on the self, and it's centered 
um, on our own desires and our own passions and what makes us happy. Jesus isn't really even a part of it. Salvation is based, isn't based on whether, you know, salvation is, is generally based on whether we're good or bad. It's about being happy. It's about comfort. It's about consumption. It's about believing that there's a God somewhere, but essentially worshiping yourself and fulfilling your own desires. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. And like I said, you know, 15 years ago when this study was done, these people were about 14, 15 years old. So now we're right 30 years old, and they probably learned this from a group of parents who are 18 to 20 years older than them. So from anywhere from, you know, that 28 to 60, this may be the prevailing mindset of faith in an American society. It's not, a, it's not bad, because it's moralistic. It wants people to be good. But it's, it's de- devoid of, of person. It's devoid of personality. It's devoid of relationship with Jesus. And so it's replaced Jesus with a facsimile of who he is. So it's really difficult because for us to hear some of this sometimes because the reason that it's hard for us is because when we look at that, the replacement in that facsimile comes because the church itself, in a lot of ways, has stepped back from, from giving the person of Jesus into our world around us. We talk a lot about being good. We talk about being a good person. We sometimes even slide ourselves kind of into this moralistic, therapeutic deism. And it's not intentional. It's just kind of part of being human, okay? It is part of being human to want want the things that you want, to feed the needs that you have in your life. And so if you can figure out a faith system that kind of works that way and works to help you and makes you feel that way, then then it's, it's easy to slide into that. But we fashion Jesus sometimes into what works for us, which honestly is really our own image, right? He's just like me, and he thinks like I think, and that's what it is. So we can have our own way, but still feel like we're okay with God. So we're human. We're going to have that issue. Um, Pastor Mike Slaughter he said this, the picture that you have of God, and the, uh, good, Nick is on this. Okay, the picture that you have of God is, has everything to do with the shaping of your faith and values. If you picture God, if your picture of God is distorted, your life perspective will be skewed. I think it was C.S. Lewis, I might be wrong about this, it might have been A.W. Tozer, it says, what you think about God when you think about God is the most important thing. And so, I want, to, I want to challenge us today a little bit. I know this might have already been a little bit challenging, but I want to put, have you put on your thick skin a little bit and think a little bit about what some of these things might be? And I'm going to push a couple buttons, all right? And I'm, I'm doing it this morning so that maybe we might not, not that we would leave here feeling like, oh, pff, you know, I've got this all messed up, but that we would leave here aware that, that Jesus is a real person. And the way we communicate him to people, the way that we talk about him, the way that we have a relationship with him matters. 
And so if we're going to teach the way to the world around us, we have to be teaching the real Jesus, who he is. So I'm going to present to you four, I think it's four, I can't remember if I counted, I think it's four, um, facsimile Jesus pictures for you, okay? First one um, might be a little recognizable. I got a picture of him. This is Santa Claus Jesus, okay? And um, Santa Claus Jesus is a lot like the, the real Santa Claus, okay? He um, keeps a list. He checks it twice. If you're on the naughty list, then, then God doesn't love you anymore. And you've got to work really, really hard to get back on the nice list, okay? And there's like this scale this balance, if you do a bunch of bad stuff over here, then I can do a bunch of good stuff over here, and I can balance this stuff out, and once again, Jesus will love me, okay? And what's scary about this is that it's based around the idea of shame. How, how, can, uh, how can I get God to love me? Well, I gotta, I've got to do this thing. And then, remember, we're human, and so we mess up right? Because it's part of our nature. Romans tells us that all have sinned and fall short of God. And all of a sudden now we feel the shame of this. Okay, we're on the wrong side of this list. And so now I have to come back and I have to figure out how to get myself back over here. I grew up believing in Santa Claus Jesus. Okay. I grew up in a really legalistic church that if I did the wrong thing, if I did the if I went to see the wrong movie, if I listened to the wrong band, if I did this type of stuff or whatever, then I, I must not be right with Jesus and Jesus wouldn't love me as much anymore. And so I had to, had to work my way back over into the right side and not be on the naughty list anymore. And it stole from me the grace of God. It stole from me the love of God, this love that endures, that we just sang about. It took it from me. And it took me a long time to find it again. Because the truth is, and what's going to be hard about this, some of this stuff, you know, is that when we talk about something like Santa Claus, Jesus, there's some truth in that. We do want to live a holy life. We do want to please God because we're in a relationship. It's just like my wife who's back there in the back of the room. I don't want to hurt her. So I change my patterns of my life. I don't go date other women. Because that would hurt her right? And so I try, the, the truth is, is that we try to, to live our life in a way that connects us to Jesus because we should love him. And that relationship is important. And the truth is, is that that unmerited favor, that grace, that mercy that comes from us, from him, is exactly what we need. And it's not like that from Santa Claus Jesus. Romans, Romans 5 tells us that we were sinners and Christ still died for us. We were all on the naughty list. And he still went there for us. So the Santa Claus Jesus is a facsimile. It's not real. Okay? Now, the next, next Jesus I want to present to you is, is FEMA director Jesus. Okay? Um, how many of y'all just wake up every morning and are so thankful that FEMA's on the job? Do you think about it? Wake up in the morning and think, man, I am so glad that the Army Corps of Engineers built that dam properly and I am not flooded out right now and floating down the Chattahoochee, all right? Or 
if something goes wrong. Now, if there is a disaster that comes, and we have had a really awesome hurricane season this year with lots and lots of hurricanes. We're into the Greek alphabet now, which is fantastic. I don't think I've ever seen that before. So FEMA has a role, right? And when those, those storms come, when that tornado hits, man, we don't ever think about FEMA on, on any other day, but when that comes, when that's there, we want FEMA and we want it now, right? And that director better get it right and he better have the right amount of money and all this stuff better happen because if he doesn't, we're, we're going to fire him and we're going to get another FEMA director in there. And you hear what I'm saying? And so when the storms of our life happen, all of a sudden, now we need Jesus. We didn't need him any of the other times. We didn't think about him any other time, but he's good for those moments, okay? And so when we have a death in the family, when we have a medical emergency, when we have a family member with addiction issues, when we lose a job, all of a sudden we start praying harder. We start praying more because we need the eternal emergency management. Maybe it's EMA instead, the eternal emergency management agency to come and help us. And the truth is, is that Jesus actually does want to help us in the middle of that, but he wants to help us before that as well. Because if we think about the parable he told about the man who built his house on the rock and the man who built his house on the sand, and when the storms came, the one who had built his house on the sand, his home was destroyed, but the one who was on the rock was able to stand. This identity fails to recognize the truth of the rock of who Jesus is in our lives. So we got Santa Claus Jesus, we got FEMA director Jesus, um, and then we have Jesus the doorman. Okay? This, this Jesus is, um, in the verses that preceded our text, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says that he goes to prepare a place for us. And in his Father's house, there are many mansions, or there are many rooms, depending on which uh, version you're reading. And so we, we see Jesus now in this position. He's the guy who meets us at the door, and he goes, so glad to have you here. I'm glad you booked to stay with us. <clears throat> and, um, let me grab your bags, and we'll take you upstairs, and we'll get you all settled in. And I hope that you have a beautiful trip here. And we think, oh, man, that's great. We're going to drop him a fiver on the way out the door, and, you know, he's going to get his tip, and it's going to be good. Okay. And this is, a, this is a lot of the ways that we look at Jesus. And the world around us sees this in a lot of ways. You know, I went to church, um, and I, I paid a due, and I booked my trip either through baptism, or I booked my trip at an altar, or I, I went to confirmation, or any of those types of things. And I, there you go. And then we show up at the hotel when we die, and God lets us in the door. We're good. And we've missed it. We've missed the... Re- the relationship that was there the whole time. And it is true that he provides this opening for us and he saves us, but he's more than just the doorman. He is the door. He is the gate. And Jesus talks about this and um, he talks about that he's the good shepherd and he's the gate. And I I put a picture in here of this... um, this here, this is an ancient sheep pen. And a lot of times we don't think about this. When he says that he is the gate, the shepherd would bring all of his flock into that circular hole there to keep them safe. And then he would himself lay down in that gap 
and become the gate that kept the sheep in and kept the thieves out and kept the wolves out. So yes, he stands at the door and he protects us and he keeps us safe in those kinds of ways, but it's because he's a self-sacrificing, loving, amazing God who wants to take care of, of his people like a good shepherd. And we miss that if we just pass him the five on the way out the door. So we got Santa Claus Jesus, Femus Director Jesus, Dorman Jesus, and the last one I'm going to talk about, and there are a whole lot more of these that you could probably come up with. All right. This is just the last one that I came out of my head. It's Cruise Director Jesus. All right. This is the guy that the Midnight Buffet is always available. It's full of all your favorite worship songs. The spa is open for your relaxation and your peacefulness. You know, adventure awaits as he's your tour guy on an excursion out into the bush on a Jeep or on a four-wheeler or snorkeling and all these amazing things. And there's not a care in the world because you're on eternity cruise lines and it's, you've got the best cruise director ever. Whatever you need, whatever you want, everything will be laid out perfectly for you. Nothing should ever go wrong. This is a customized trip to through, through the time of space of who you are just for you, okay? And we come to worship to feel good, to feel comfortable, to hear something that makes us um, happy and feel good. We complain when we don't feel fulfilled and we don't get what we want. There wasn't the right thing on the buffet or it wasn't made with enough salt just the way we wanted it. So we go to the cruise director, right? We're like, hey, listen, I've got a complaint. This isn't how I want it. And the truth is, again, that there is fulfillment for each and every one of us. Acts 1, there are excursions for us to take, to teach who he is. He said that we would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But that place that you might end up in may not be comfortable for you. You may end up sleeping on an air mattress a whole lot. You might see things that make you really uncomfortable. You may have to eat food that you never thought that you would put in your mouth. But there is adventure. There is destiny and like purpose in the real Jesus for you. So when we think about what it is to be in this place, when we teach the world, and this is, I'm going to put this up on the screen, when we teach the world that Jesus is just a Santa Claus, that he's a FEMA director, when he's a doorman of heaven or a cruise director, we not only mislead the world around us, but we cheapen the reality of who Jesus really is and the relationship that we can have with him. Because Jesus is so much more and I want you to see this piece of scripture as we begin to close up here. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. And this is from the message. I love the way that um, Eugene Peterson worded this. He says, we look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below 
visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning, and leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything of, woo, everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, listen to this portion right here, not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. This is the real Jesus He's the visible image of the invisible God. He is eternal. He is the creator. He is our leader. He is the head of the church. He is alive. He is resurrected and promises that those who follow him will have the same. He's our provider. He's our rescue. He's our promise of eternal life. He's the good shepherd. He's the gate that watches over us. He is our comfort and our peace. And just like that scripture said, not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, all because of his blood poured down from the cross. This is the Jesus we serve. And so today, as we take one more song to worship him, I want you to think back to that moral therapeutic deism, to a faith that is focused on ourselves. And think back to that little tiny song that you maybe heard when you were a kid, that said he's got the whole world in his hands. And think for yourself, do I myself want to hold the entire world? Am I capable of that? And then think about what you heard in that scripture. That he was there before it even existed. And everything fits into him and he gives it purpose in a world that is desperate and dying and broken and messed up and confused and divisive and God knows what else is happening around us that Jesus is the one that this world needs to hear about so when we teach the way It starts with the reality of him. Let's pray. Father, this morning, 
I thank you that you loved us so deeply and so passionately and so amazingly that you were willing to give your son, even though we were so messed up, that you would give him so that we could stand before you righteous, we could stand before you clean, all the broken pieces of our lives could be restored and fixed and put back together through him. God, help us to change our own hearts, to find the places where we worship ourselves or our own ideas about who you are and what you want and what you love and who you love and how you love and all these different things that we want it to be just like we want it or think about it. But God, you are the one that matters. You are the one who is capable You are the one who is able to hold us in your hands, to mold us, make us, and change us, fix us, and renew us. Help us, God, to trust you so that we can leave this place each and every time with your purpose and your passion and your love to show this world that you love them desperately. And that you are real and that you want them, God. That you are for them. Lord, change us, make us so that we can be your people to this world that so desperately needs you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.